Okratov, good morning. Welcome everybody to the Aliyah Day. Glad that you're here with me. I hope that you are glad to be here and having a a great and wonderful day already. Uh, pardon me, a second. Dropped a vital highlighter. Can't lose the highlighters around here. Welcome to the Aliyah Day. It's live TV, ladies and gentlemen. This is what happens. We are glad you're here again. If you're new to the channel, please subscribe to our channel. If you uh, would like to like the video, we would like for you to do that and to share it with your friends and co-workers and everything of that nature. We are in the parasha of Noach. This is going to be found, today's reading anyway, going to be found in the Art School Chumash on page 35. We are in chapter 7 of uh, the book of Genesis and it's the third day of the week, so therefore it is the third Aliyah. So again, glad you're here. Welcome, blessings, all of our new friends and family that are joining us from across the Fruited Plain. We welcome you and across the world. So let's read beginning in uh, verse 17. <clears throat> it says, When the flood was on the earth 40 days, the waters increased and raised the ark, so it was lifted above the earth. The waters strengthened and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark drifted upon the surface of the waters. The waters strengthened very much upon the earth, and all the high mountains which are under the entire heavens were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the water strengthen, and the mountains were covered, and all the flesh that moves upon the earth expired. Among the birds, the animals, the beasts, and the creeping things that creep upon the earth, and all mankind. All in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, of everything that was on dry land died. And he blotted out all existence that was on the face of the ground, from man to animal to creeping things, and to the birds of the heaven, and they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah survived, and those with him in the ark. And the waters strengthened on the earth a hundred and fifty days. Chapter 8. God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God caused a spirit, a ruach, a breath, to pass over the earth. And the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heaven were closed. And the rain from the heaven was restrained. The waters then receded from upon the earth, receding continuously and the waters diminished all at the end rather of a hundred and fifty days. And the ark came to rest in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, upon the mountains of Arat. The waters were continuously diminishing until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains became visible. And it came to pass at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. He set, sent out the raven, and it kept going and returning until the waters dried from upon the earth. Then he sent out the dove from him to see whether the water had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove could not find a resting place for the sole of its foot, and it returned to him into the ark, for water was upon the surface of the earth. So he put forth his hand and took it and brought it into the ark, and he waited again another seven days and sent it out. Uh, sent out the dove from the ark. Verse 11. The dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, an olive leaf it had plucked with its bill, and no one knew that the waters had subsided from upon the earth, 
Then he waited again another seven days and sent forth the dove, and it did not return to him anymore. And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, on the first of the month, the waters dried upon the earth. Noah removed the cover of the ark and looked, and behold, the surface of the ground had dried. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was fully dried. That's the end of our reading today. Uh, reading about the flood, about the ark uh, landing. I want to share something about the ark itself. This is an insight from the Gutnik uh, Humash, something I've said in, in years past. Um, as we obviously know that that um, Noah and all the animals came into the ark. They were brought to the ark supernaturally by God, um, brought into um, uh, into the place of safety. This is kind of an allusion to how God uh, brings us, right? He, he brings us. We cannot come to God unless he draws us near, just like the, angel, the animals could not come to the ark unless they were drawn in. But I want to share a couple of insights um, into, uh, into these wordings here. So it says, Noah's mission was to take a world of misery and transform it into a world of light. This comes from the Gutnikumash again. It says, God told them to make a light, a Zohar, which has the same letters as Zara, which is the Hebrew word for misery. In other words, that God wanted him to replace misery with light. You know, that's what we're, we are attempting to do with God's help at Lapid Judaism. And that is we're, we are attempting to, uh, to dispel darkness, to dispel misery, to dispel ignorance, to dispel theological misunderstanding with the light of God's Torah. But this next word is the one I really wanted to focus on. Because the word for ark, as in ark of the covenant, and uh, or I should say ark Noah's ark, is the word teva. That's what we use for ark. The other time that that word is used is when uh, Miriam, Miriam's mother, makes a teva to carry Moses. What's interesting about this word teva is that it can also mean word. It can also mean word as in word of God. So we have this picture that in order to be saved from the waters of the flood, from the waters of judgment, we have to enter into God's word. I think that's why Yeshua, one of the reasons anyway, Yeshua said, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. We have to get in, as it were, into the Messiah. And uh, I've said for years, you know, how do we do that? Because it sounds very spiritual. Abide in me and I'll abide in you. And the answer to that, for those of you who have never heard that before, or heard the answer before, is to study God's Word, to study the Torah, uh, to read. One of the uh, biggest problems, I think, among believers today, if if I can just offer my opinion uh, based on um, decades of, of experience, is people generally don't have a very good knowledge of the Bible, and the Scripture. By, by Scripture, I'm not talking about the apostolic letters. I'm talking about the actual Bible. I'm talking about reading, um, reading the Torah, reading the Tanakh, and having a good understanding. Uh, most people don't <clears throat> spend much time there, but 
the, in order to be really saved, if you will, from the proverbial waters of the flood, we need to get into God's word. We need to get into the ark. And of course, I would couple that with, with, uh, with needing to study the word of God from a Jewish perspective, which means looking at uh, Jewish commentaries and Jewish ideas relevant to that. Because I can tell you right now that, uh, and you've seen if you've watched this program for any length of time, uh, hopefully you've recognized it, but I can tell you from experience, and I know that many of our our Sar Shalomis who are have been here for years can tell you that uh, s- studying the the Word of God coupled with the Tamu, the Midrash, um, Rashi, Ramban, Ramban, Or Hahayim, all those sources uh, is opens up, pun intended, the floodgates of understanding. It is just amazing that you get a deluge. Yes, another pun to understand the Word of God. It's just amazing, just wonderful. I also want to share this insight from the Kehol Tumash. Um, going back to when Hashem is instructing Noah on how to, how to make the ark, it says you must caulk, you must caulk it inside and outside with pitch. So the word for caulk is kafir, uh, which is a which is similar to the word kapara, which was where we get kippur, right? Yom Kippur. So this pitch, this cock that is used on the ark, the root of that word is atonement. So the way that we uh, shield ourselves ultimately from the judgment waters and therefore from death and destruction is through God's atonement that He provides for us. That that's what we have to have that we put on our ark, on our word. So we can study the word and we can apply the word, but if we have just the teva without the atonement, we don't have anything. So we have to have the atonement, obviously. It's a package deal is what I'm trying to say. So anyway, it says here, our sages teach us that Torah study and deeds of kindness affect atonement. Cleansing a person from the spiritual contamination caused by sin. The study of Torah and the performance of Torah, because if you study something but don't do it, you not re- you don't really have anything. This is what um, the Apostle Yaakov was trying to say in his apostolic letter, that if you're a hearer of the word but not a doer, then you don't really have anything. Faith of that works is dead. But when we study the Torah and we perform the Torah, it provides for us a spiritual mikvah. It is a spiritual mikvah indeed. So it says the phrase can thus be read as follows. When you are in need of atonement, as the generation of Noah was, you must caulk yourself on the interior with the kuffer, with the atonement of Torah study, that is inward activity, study and, and, and building yourself up, and on the exterior with the kuffer of deeds of kindness, and outward activity, that is that is uh, outward mitzvah-keeping. So the way that we keep our proverbial arcs waterproof is that we study the Word of God, thereby, thereby caulking our interior, and we live out the Word of God, thereby caulking our exterior. You know, I, I'm not, I don't recall if I've mentioned this or not on this program, but uh, maybe I have, and if, if I have and you've heard it before, forgive me, but 
Um, I was talking to our group of uh, inmates downtown that we have a class for, and I was explaining to them, uh, waxing quite eloquently, I should say, about the Torah observance and and, uh, how important it is and so on. But I was trying to relate to them a very practical aspect that I I, want to couple with what I just read. And that is that... uh, Say what you want about the theology. People have different theologies about Torah observance and what have you. Um, but think about just the um, uh, the Arab Shabbat and the Shabbat experience, and then following that, the Havdalah experience alone. And I was telling these gentlemen, and I said, "Look, um, when you follow the when you study the Word of God and there thereby follow it, and then follow it, such as honoring the Sabbath." It's going to protect you from, very practically speaking, from getting in trouble. I said, for instance, on Friday night, instead of being out and about gangbanging or doing whatever you do on a Friday night, wherever you are, instead of being out there doing all of that, you're going to be at home with your family, having a religious meal, a wonderful, joyous meal, blessing your sons and daughters and wives and so on, and enjoying people's company, talking about God, talking about Torah, studying the table sparks, um, all those kinds of things. And then you're going to go to synagogue. So all day on on Saturday, instead of being out and about uh, cruising around, you're going to be in shul, davening and listening to uh, amazing, insightful drashas and those kinds of things. And then you're going to go home and rest a little bit. And then you're going to gather with your friends and family on Saturday night and Motzei Shabbos, and you're going to have a Havdalah. I said right there, all of your major time frame that could has the most potential for getting in trouble has just been eliminated. You've just cocked yourself inside and out. That's the practical benefit. You could say, "Well, I don't believe in the theology," but of course, you know, you're you're wrong about that. But um, there is a practical nature to this. Um, this level of observance. All right. Somebody asked me, I think I answered this yesterday that the, uh, how long the floodwaters were on the earth, but I want to give you a time frame here as brought down by Ramban. And here it is. Um, the timetable of the, of the deluge, or as we say in French, deluge. And it says here, the deluge ran as follows. Rain descended on earth for 40 days continuously from the date the fountains of the deep broke open. During those 40 days, the waters on earth rose to a level of 15 cubits above the highest peaks. At the end of 40 days, the rain stopped But the fountains of the deep remained open and the windows of the heaven also remained open so that the atmosphere was extremely moist. The entire globe was full of water, none of which dried off during that period. This condition continued until the end of 150 days after the rain had started. At that point, God made a strong wind blow in the atmosphere on the earth and the fountains of the deep closed. The waters which had flooded earth from below returned to the interior of the earth where they had been before the deluge started. And at that point, the windows of the heaven were closed also, and the air of the atmosphere began to dry up. As a result, he writes, the level of water on earth 
became drastically reduced. So the ark, which had previously been about two to three cubits deep in water, managed to land on the mountain range of Arat. Some 73 days later, the tops of the mountains became visible. On the first day of the 10th month, on the first month of Tammuz, another 40 days later, on the 10th of the month of Av, the dove left the ark for good, and another 30 days later, Noah removed the cover of the ark. In all, we are told that the ark was, uh, the flood rather, stayed on the, on the earth a complete solar year of 365 days. Now, why, why 365 days? Why, why 12 months, as it were? Well, we learn that 12 months of judgment is a kind of a, a standard, if you will, in Judaism. It says, we, also told, uh, we are also told that in the, in the same Mishnah, the judgment of Mitzrayim lasted for 12 months. That judgment, the plague, the 10 plagues, that was a 12-month period that that occurred. Uh, Job's afflictions lasted for 12 months. The judgment of the wicked is in Gehenna is a minimum of 12 months. Finally, the Mishnah states that the judgment experienced by the nations taking part in the final assault on the Jewish people during the war of Gog and Magog will also last for 12 months. I want to bring in a uh, Baal HaTurim here. Um, let me see here. Make sure I have the right to reference. Baal HaTurim about the raven. It's very interesting about the raven. Um, he has a gematria. Aha, here it is. Uh, the, for the word dried, which is yevoshet, dried, the gematria of this word, when it is spelled in full, yevoshet, with the vav, and the Torah, it doesn't have the vav. Sometimes you can spell a word in Hebrew with the, um, the vowel, and sometimes you cannot, the vowel being the vav in this case. He says the gematria of this word is equal to that of nachal, Brit, uh, Kerit, Slika. That is the brook Cherith or Cherith Brook. The raven was assured or reassured when the Holy One blessed be, he said, You are destined to serve a different divine mission. So there's a, there's a long uh, discussion about this. I believe it's in the Talmud. I don't have the reference in front of me, but I'm, uh, I believe it's in the Talmud. About the raven uh, not being so happy about the fact that he was sent out. Um, on a, such a dangerous mission when there were still waters across the, the world. He could have drowned, and there was only one raven left, his, his, uh, his Mrs. Raven, his spouse. So Mr. Raven had to go out, and Mr. Raven was upset that should he drown, Mrs. Raven would not be able to have any more ravens. And so he raved about that and said, it's not right. And then not only that, he came back, and there was no uh, leaf to pluck. So... It's saying here that the Holy One, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, said, you are destined to serve another divine mission. Don't worry. I'm going to use you. He told, he told Noah, bring him back into the ark. I need the, the ravens to continue. Why? Because they have an important role to play. During the days of Eliyahu the prophet, um, it is the raven who was sent to uh, feed Eliyahu. 
Okay, it's this, the raven was used to get, send food to God's prophets. So there, just an interesting little story about why the raven uh, was spared and God wanted to be spared. Where did the olive branch come from? Where did the olive branch come from? From the uh, uh, that the dove had found. Now there's a long insight in uh, Rabbeinu Bakia about this. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to kind of skim through it. But basically, the concept is that uh, everything was destroyed. All vegetation uh, was destroyed. And uh, everything was, uh, was gone. So where did the olive branch come from? There's two schools of thought. <clears throat> One school of thought is that the destructive waters of the deluge did not impact the Holy Land. Now, this is found in Zevakim, I believe it is, in the Talmud 113. Now, if you study into this uh, and read more about it, what you find is the idea that most assuredly the Holy Land was flooded, but the destructive rain and the destructive uh, waters of the deep uh, did not burst forth on the Holy Land, but rather that the waters flooded into, they spilled into the Holy Land. One of the ideas uh, about this is um, some people say uh, that the water that came up from the deep was boiling, which makes sense because it's the core of the earth. The water would have been very, very hot. And it was hot, Not so therefore it wasn't just water, but it was hot boiling water. So one of the ideas, the Holy Land is very special. The Sages refer to the Holy Land as essentially God's throne on the earth. Um, this is the Holy Land is absolutely unique. It is a very uh, a, a divine land, if you will. Um, the Holy Land is part of the covenantal package along with the Torah. But anyway, um, the idea being that since the rains that fell upon the Holy Land were not completely destructive. Therefore, it did not completely obliterate all vegetation. So therefore, when the waters receded, there were still some olive trees left. And specifically, the Midrash brings down, um, as Rabbi Levy claims, that the leaf came from the Mount of Olives itself. There's another idea. This is brought down in, in uh, uh, Breshit Rabbah 33.6 that the dove brought back an olive leaf uh, from Gan Eden, from Gan Eden itself, that uh, Hashem allowed the bird to go to Gan Eden and bring back an olive, olive uh, leaf from that area. And uh, I would imagine my interpretation of that would be that, that things have been kind of reset, as it were, back as, as, as much as possible to the Ghani Din era. Now, I also want to mention another insight here from uh, chapter 8 and verse 21, where it says, <clears throat> Adonai smelled the pleasing aroma, and Hashem said in his heart, I will not continue to curse the ground. Now, we didn't, this is actually not part of our reading today. This is going to actually part, be part of tomorrow's reading. But I wanted to share this because I was so excited about it. Um, so this is kind of a look ahead. Sometimes we look back at previous aliyahs, and today we're looking ahead to the next aliyah. 
But uh, this word smelled is, is um, uh, there's a Baal term about this, Vayarach. And it says that um, this word is, is, uh, appears twice in the Tanakh. The first time is Hashem smelled a pleasant fragrance. Okay, that's the first time, which a verse we just cited. And the second time it's used is in uh, Genesis 27, 27, where it says, talking about Isaac, and he smelled the fragrance of his garment. He smelled the fragrance of his garment. It says, this alludes to the statement of our rabbis of blessed memory. In the future, even the sinners of Israel will produce a fragrant aroma. Uh, the sages talk about and teach that Messiah is going to judge us by our sense of smell. In other words, he is going to look for the fragrance of teshuva on us. Because, And one of the reasons for that is because um, we can fake the way we look, we can fake the way we act, we can fake a lot of different things. But you cannot fake the way you smell. And let's not forget that the word for breath, the like breathing through your nostrils, is ruach, spirit. So to smell would be um, related in a way to the spirit of the person. You cannot fake your spirit. And Mashiach is going to be able to discern whether or not we have the proper fragrance. So it says here, um, it says of Israel, even the sinners will produce a fragrant aroma. That is, they will repent as it stated. And he will, uh, and he smelled the fragrance, um, which is in Hebrew, Bagadav. Instead of reading Gadav, his garments, read Bogdav, his traitors. He didn't smell his garments, but he smelled his traitors. Remember, in other words, he smelled the, the those who had betrayed him, but repented. Thus, our verse may be understood as God smelled the pleasing fragrance, which the wicked would ultimately produce. And in that merit decided, I will not continue to curse again the ground because of men. Now, <clears throat> there's another um, insight to this particular topic in the Midrash that says that when Jacob approached his father, the fragrance of Ganadin came with him. Now, Getting a little bit ahead of myself, but the question becomes, why is it that when Isaac um, smelled his son Jacob, he smelled, he said, you smell like the fragrance of, and it says in the Torah during that story, the field, not a field, but the field. And I'm going to give you the Reader Digest answer, and then when we get to that section of the Torah, with God's help, we'll explore it in more detail. But basically, uh, Jacob was wearing the garments of Adam, and which smelled like Ganadin. And the question becomes, well, how does Isaac know what Ganadin smells like? Because he wasn't there when, when, when a Ganadin was, was uh, inhabited. And the answer is, is that when Isaac laid down upon the altar to surrender his life, that he was enveloped, the sages teach us, by a fragrant aroma of Ganadin. Therefore, he recognized the fragrance. And when he smelled Jacob's garments, his, his coat, 
he recognized the, the, the fragrant smell. Now, I want you to imagine, because whenever you read children's Bible books, you see Adam and Hava, and they're dressed like cave people. But I want to ask you a question. Um, think about your uh, I, I, the, the finest maker of clothing, uh, Armani. I don't know who else. Uh, Chanel. Um, I, I really have no idea about clothing, so I'm kind of embarrassing myself here. But whatever is a fine maker of clothing, I want to ask you a question. Uh, thank you. My daughter says Fendi. Okay, Gucci. Uh, okay, all right. Hadassah obviously knows. Liz Claymore. All right, so um, whoever makes good, nice clothing, I want to ask you a question. Uh, do you think that God can do better? Of course. So if he's going to make clothing for Adam and Hava, he's probably going to make them some Armani suits, some um, Louis Vuitton, some Gucci, whatever. He's going to make that quality and even better. Why? Because he's God. And so that's number one. So these are ni nice clothing, number one. Number two, if God had made you a suit... And it or your father, say you, 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 God had made your grandfather a suit of clothes. It came from Hashem. It, it's in the tag. It says, uh, uh, you know, Shemayim by Hashem. And so when your grandfather hands that down to you, are you going to take it to Goodwill to donate? No, you're going to carry it with you. The, this, the cloak, the clothing that God made Adam and Hava made it onto the ark. It was specifically, actually tells us in the book of Yasher, that um, Noah specifically packed that. And there's a reason why he did. And I'm going to hold you in suspense as we are going to learn about that later as we gather closer to the discussion of Jacob and Esau and our Torah portions as to why he did and how where it ended up from there and how Jacob got a hold of it and then where the jacket went after that. But that's for another time. End of our Aliyah today. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you have a blessed, wonderful, and amazing day. Be back tomorrow because you never know what amazing insight you're going to hear or foreign language. Uh, blessings to you. Shalom. We will see everybody tomorrow.